0: It's a hard thing to do if you're isolated. If you're going through it, your brain is telling you I'm the only one and you don't have the backup from another person, another man who says, no, I've gone through this too. Your experience isn't minimized in any way, but it is to say, you're not, you know, you're not weird or weak. Or doing something wrong for experiencing what you're doing.
1: Well, welcome everyone to the Rising Father Podcast. I have Doctor Pierre Zom with me, and I talked to him earlier. He's an excellent um, resource for men, for fathers, for anyone need some guidance I think with what I found talking to him is he's just a great person to talk to to help you um, think in a way that is beneficial to you and to your family and I'm really looking forward to him sharing some of his wisdom with the Rising Father community because just from our short talk a couple weeks ago he has a ton to offer so welcome
0: thank you thanks for having me
1: you bet Um, So I asked a a few uh, questions of my community before you were on, and I'll start with a couple questions they had because there's a lot of guys um, who I think have a lot of similar type of questions. And one of the big ones that came up was how can fathers create a better work-life balance? I think there's a lot of guys trying to to hustle, trying to do multiple jobs, and also trying to be great fathers, and that really creates a conflicting uh, situation for them.
0: Mm. That's a really great question. I think it's a broad one mm-hmm. and uh, probably starts with identifying what that balance would entail. Usually there, it feels like there may be an imbalance. So some time or energy that's focused in the direction that a man wouldn't prefer. Usually that's more, to, more towards work. Mm-hmm. So I guess it starts with defining what it means to be in balance. What is feeling like it's not getting a man's energy. And perhaps the focus is really on defining how to slowly, steadily bring more energy and time to whatever it is that feels like it's deficient or not getting as much energy. Cause I do think that there is, this question is a great one. It's also really different from guy to guy. There's some similarities, sure. but I'd say, I'd say it would likely start by understanding what work life balance even means and How do I start with giving a little more attention to the thing that feels like it's not getting enough right now?
1: Where do you think guys are coming up deficient in the work or the life from what you've seen? Um,
0: I think one thing that I uh, quite often see is just personal connection to self. Having enough time to like, uh, maybe I'm rooted in what's important to me in the moment. I'm connected to myself. I think that's probably the, the biggest area that most of us struggle with. I mean, myself included, like it feels almost frivolous to say, Uh, I need to spend more time with myself (laughs) or I need to, Mm -hmm. uh, to connect to myself or to, to have more what's the word that's sort of thrown around a lot, self care. Mm -hmm. It feels really frivolous, but I, I think it can feel really frivolous, but it's super important. And I think what's, what often happens for most of us is that it, it feels like a term that's just really squishy. And so, for me, self-care or time to myself is often spent doing something that I might really enjoy that doesn't feel like a task or a chore, like being out in nature, being out for a walk, Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily feeling um, restricted or, uh, like I'm obligated to do more. And that's a hard thing. I think for, for many men, for me, especially, I think, uh, I'm, I'm very frequently of the mindset that I need to be doing more, yep. producing more, being more productive. Yep. And often that comes at the cost of me feeling a sense of peace that I could cultivate from some alone time hmm.
1: is it important for guys to have that sense of peace and happiness or is it okay for them to live their life not entire life but is it okay to live parts of your life with that sense of urgency and not not even unhealthy but that hustle and grind mentality like is is pursuing the peace and happiness necessary and better for the the person
0: hmm well i think most things as with most things it's all about moderation and intention there are likely going to be times in life where hustling is key or times of the week where hustling is key. But if hustling is 24 seven without any time for peace, most guys are gonna get burned out. And if the reverse happens and it's all peace, most guys are gonna get a little restless. So I do think it is a matter of finding some moderation but also recognizing what's important to each man at his stage of life where he is in terms of cultivating growth versus peace. Um, I I think the two need to coincide and live together, maybe sort of coexist. Um, But perhaps they get fed in different, but they do get fed in different ways. So I don't, I think there's a big emphasis on the hustle. I mean, we see the hustle, especially on social media, we see the hustle being really honored as the way that men ought to show up. Mm -hmm. I think that there's value there. Certainly, I don't mean to diminish it in any way. I think it's how we build how we grow. I think it's got to be tempered though for most men by some level of peace else the hustle starts to feel overwhelming and we lose perspective over much of the reason why the hustle is even happening in the first place and i think for a lot of uh for a lot of guys they
1: are hustling and grinding so much because they don't know what they're trying to do um You know, you you feel you get motivated by someone on social media who tells you to grind and hustle. So you work yourself up into this um, emotion and state where you have to be hustling and grinding and working. But you've got no direction. You've got no guidance. So you end up just repeating the cycle for years and years. And I talk about this um, to people who are trying to, you know, build a business or a brand or anything like that it's working hard is great and trying really hard is admirable and noble. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to be repeating the cycle over and over and over again. And from my perspective, I try to tell guys, you know, working hard and attaining goals and getting to these personal benchmarks is great, but not if it's at the expense of what you're trying to attain, like if you're trying to attain personal freedom, and you know, time with your family and freedom of time, than constantly restarting for 18 years and never getting ahead in burning yourself out, and then your kids go to college and then say, "Hey, I finally figured it out." You missed the whole point of what you were
0: trying to do. Yeah, yeah, it's important. So maintaining this perspective on what's at stake and what's the goal feels urgent.
1: Yeah. Um, And there's, it's tough for guys, I think, because they, they want to be motivated, and they want to be inspired. And there's a lot of inspiring people on social media. But, you know, I know, I know, personally, a lot of guys who start and stop many different things, because so many, they're just so easily inspired. And, you know, they'll watch one guy who says do this, they'll watch another guy says do this, they'll watch another guy says hustle 24 seven, they'll watch another guy says something else. And part of that, I think, comes back to, you know, lack of maybe, you know, a father figure be still being influential in their life, and they're looking for their own kind of guidance. Um, but I, th- it re- I think it really puts a lot of guys into this, like hamster wheel of never, never really getting to the destination they want to be, and just constantly searching for that feeling of fulfillment that someone's promising them.
0: Hmm. I think it's a big challenge for most men. We want to feel fulfilled, uh, or enough more than we are Mm -hmm. at any given moment. Mm -hmm. but Sometimes we go through the motions without really, I mean, certainly, I guess I should speak to my own experience, maybe, but I've gone through the motions for years without necessarily knowing exactly what it is that I wanted. Or even realizing that what I wanted was a slowdown. It wasn't to speed up and to get more, to collect more things. It was, or to collect more accolade. It was Mm -hmm. really to slow down. But I do think that requires a level of self-awareness and slowing down is key to developing that self awareness. And most guys, myself included, uh, feel uncomfortable slowing down. Mm -hmm. It feels weird. It feels like we don't deserve it. It feels frivolous, it feels unproductive. And it's also critical to appreciating where do I want to go? Where do I want to take especially to guys who are listening here, where do I want to go and also invite my family to, to go with me. And that does require a bit of slowdown. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do that.
1: And I know for me personally, also, Um, especially if you're in a building type of phase where well, well, I also think that a lot of people are never out of the building type of phase. They, they're always going mm-hmm. from thing to thing to thing. Um, but, yeah, you, you really do think that if I lay off the gas a little bit right now and I don't, you know, I've got 30 minutes of extra time, if I don't be productive with that 30 minutes of extra time, then I'm, like, sacrificing my future a little bit. Yep. Like that thought, that's a powerful thought, and that's a thought that's in there.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a thought that I contend with. It feels like all the time. Mm -hmm. And even though I know that there are times for and value for value in slowing down, that thought will emerge. I almost see it as not something that we could ever get rid of, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: nor should we try to. There's something important to that thought. There are times in which that desire to hustle, the thought to do more is actually quite valuable. But there are also times in which that thought is a distraction. And so it does become important to be able to recognize, well, that's a thought that's going to emerge from time to time. It's a part of how I show up, this desire for more and not necessarily. And that doesn't necessarily mean more material things, but it, I think for many men, there's a desire to have more substance, to have more impact, to have more value in a a way that feels a little more tangible. And so it can seem counterintuitive then in the moments where it's a, the thought comes up, I need to hustle, I need to go farther to say, well, my intention here was actually to slow down. Mm-hmm. When
1: that happens to so do you, do you force, yeah. so, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, you you first. <laughs> when that happens I think to we're on you, the same page, <laughs> yeah. So.
1: If that happens to you personally, when that does, do you just force yourself um, to like say, oh, you know, I've got an hour, I know I should be slowing down. But I've got this list of stuff that I could do. And if I did this list of things, maybe I could get ahead to get closer to the some goal. Do you just stop yourself and force yourself to slow down?
0: Yeah, well, I think we were getting at the same point here, which is, how do you approach that when yeah. the, the thought emerges? Uh, I do think it's, in essence, this process of mindfulness that we've that comes up over and over again in meditative practices where a thought emerges and we recognize it's a distraction and then the intention is to return the focus back to our target, our anchor. Usually in meditation, that's our breath. But in a lot of ways, meditation then becomes training for mindful, intentional action. And so in those moments, it can be very tempting to go down the rabbit hole of going through my lists. And so I see it less as a force and more of a return. I think if I try to force it too much and I say, mm-hmm. I know take it away. I'm returning back to just slowing down, and I'm going to force myself to slow down. I usually invite a lot more judgmental thoughts, distracting thoughts that don't allow me to peacefully return to slowing down. Hmm. Because a forceful slowdown doesn't usually end up working very well, at least not for me. Mm -hmm. I usually recognize too, this is a thought that isn't in line with my intended action, which is to be more aware, to slow down, to not work. This is something to which I could return at a different time. It's not something that I'm necessarily gonna try to force myself away from, because that ends up creating additional distracting thoughts and, and energy. And so I do think in a lot of ways, like, I remember when I first became interested in mindfulness and meditation, I would hear meditation instructors say, use the word gently. And they would say gently return to your breath or gently put aside the thought, recognize it's there and gently return to your breath. And I used to think like, I'm not a very sort of, woo hmm. guy i guess mm-hmm. I, I remember the first few times i th- heard that thinking well why gently like is that just an addition to the practice that feels kind of woo and and sort of squishy but it it's hugely important if i try to force my thought back to my intention or my intended action, inevitably there will be other distracting thoughts and judgments that will emerge. I'll say, "I, I can't do this. Um, I'm not good at this. I'll essentially bring up all of these additional distracting elements rather than just allowing my attention to go back to what my anchor is and doing it in a way that allows me to build some practice to doing it in a peaceful manner where the more I do it over and over again, the more comfortable it becomes. It may not be completely devoid of distraction. That's not the point. The point is not to force the thoughts away. The point is just to return your energy, your attention, your awareness back to the target, which in this case is, connection to yourself, slowing down, allowing yourself to gain more insight to who you are and what you want.
1: That's, that's really, those are wise words, but they're hard words to do. You know, they're very, those are are difficult concepts to wrap your head around and to to put into practice. I'm very, I've tried and given up on meditation a few times over the past five years, because for the same reasons I've told you that make other guys want to do things. I saw someone else say it was important. Um, so I I tried it, but um, it does require time. And, you know, even though I know the benefit is there, you know, it's still, it's just a hard thing to do. Like I did yoga yeah. for, for a time and that was hard. And just like, you know, I, I wish I still did yoga. Um, like I wish I never stopped trying to get better at at meditation because it, there is our brain is so tricky and screws with us so much it's so hard when you're trying to do that and whenever you do have these outside thoughts come in it's so hard not to dive into them and entertain them instead of just you know watching them float by acknowledging them not being judgmental and i think that was a big issue i had and i found a lot of i think wisdom in um, like Buddhist practice. Um, and there's a, a podcast called Secular Buddhism. And the guy talks about meditation and not like punishing yourself twice, like you're trying to meditate, thought comes in that you don't want. And then you get mad at yourself for that thought. So like you, you're punishing yourself twice, you know, whenever that happens. And I thought that was just extremely wise. And I love that whole philosophy of thinking about emotions mm-hmm. and, and outside thoughts. But it is, it's definitely difficult to control your your thoughts in that way.
0: Mm. Well, I, I appreciate that because I think it's really a hard practice. I also see it more as training for something more important, which is generally engaging in a mindful way. And I think the punishing yourself twice is, an important factor here in the gentle return back to whatever your focus is. And when it's forced, it usually ends up being judged and the judgment is distracting.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I would also argue the point isn't really to force your thoughts or to even control them. The Point is to recognize that they're going to come up sometimes in ways that are aligned with your intention, and quite often in ways that are not, quite often in ways that will distract you, deter you, judge you, make assumptions that aren't useful, and entertaining those thoughts, or going down the rabbit hole of those thoughts, is quite often where a lot of suffering happens for us especially guys, because we can quite easily live in our heads.
1: Oh, yeah. And I know we talked yeah. about this before, and that happens. The more and more, I think, guys get older, you know, the less they start reaching out to other men, you know, the less, the more sure. resistant they are to therapy or to talk to their friends, and then that just creates this internal bubble in which they live. Yeah. Um, what are some of the reasons guys are – resistant to sharing their thoughts. And, you know, seeking out help, seeking out therapy, seeking like a a confidant.
0: The reluctance is for many guys, strong, it can be really innate. Mm -hmm. And without without awareness, some guys will just feel very reluctant to share our experiences, but it often amounts to to a few different interpretations or assumptions. One is that uh, I'm alone, different, somehow sharing my struggle will set me apart as less than i think that's a big one
1: be seen as weak
0: yeah yeah i think to that point that is its own this fear of vulnerability or weakness that somehow naming a need naming a want for help means I'm sitting face to face with my vulnerability and I'm letting someone else in on that. I think a third one tends to be a feeling of burden. No one wants to hear what I have to say. No one wants to hear me complain, seeing a personal share and especially a vulnerable share as somehow an imposition on another person. I guess the fourth is that many of us think and want to think that we can do it, do it all on our own, that somehow being able to maneuver and sorting it all out on our own feels more important then, in some cases, more important than actually sorting it out.
1: Just saying that you did it on your own. Yeah. That you, There's you something like, big you to con- that. I mean, you conquered it.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I think about a lot of hesitation around getting psychotherapy or taking medications for mental health conditions Mm. that mm, have nothing to do with our control and nothing to do with our own individual capacity or strength. And often there's a reluctance or resistance. I don't want to rely on a medication or I don't want to have to use this as a crutch. Well, it's not. And you wouldn't think that in a in the context context of any other medical condition, but somehow there is a sense that if I'm struggling from um, an emotional or a a mental health standpoint, that there's a, a judgment of weakness that's associated with it or a judgment to my strength. And that is especially true for men, that tends to be a, a big barrier.
1: What percentage of men I know, this is a, you're not going to have an exact answer. But what's your guesstimation of what percentage of guys have these internal mental struggles that they're going through, and they think they're the only one?
0: Oh, a huge percentage, like over 50. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and I'm just thinking that there's whoever's listening to this, like, you probably are thinking you're the like, no one else is going through what you're going through. And, you know, if you like you said, if you said something, people would think you're weird. But like, I'm sure if you've had 10 random guys off the street in a room, you told them the thoughts that you had, they'd probably all be like, Oh, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing.
0: Yep, Chris, well over 50. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that anyone can actually get an exact yeah. estimate, but I would assume that the clear majority of men are experiencing, at least in, at some point and in some aspect of their lives, a struggle that they think they are alone in experiencing. And that no one else
1: has gone through and that they're unique in that um, and it's weird because you, you you know I'm thinking I'm thinking like where do they get where does this isolation comes come from what makes them want to um, keep it to themselves but it affects everyone I mean I, I've had the same thoughts too it's not that I, I share everything also because you also go through different phases like there's phases where I'm feel I guess physically I'm feeling better mentally, I'm feeling better, things are going well in all these areas of my life. And I'm just more open to talk to people about it. But then there's also physiologically or whatever, you go through different phases. And you're just a little more down on yourself. And even though you know, you should be sharing with people, you just you bottle it all up inside. And you just want to put your head down grind to yourself and not share anything with anyone. And that just turns into a, a spiral.
0: For sure. And if we think about just the common experiences of mood decline or anxiety, they are within the normal range of things that we all experience, mood declines, experiences, particularly around um, big life transitions, including fatherhood, that are really common. We also think about the when something, I also think about when something goes from maybe a a normal human experience to pathology. And that can be kind of a fuzzy line. When something goes from, the experience goes from anxiety related to a particular situation to a persisting anxiety condition or sadness, grief, okay, turns into something like a major depressive episode. I didn't know there, what
1: you meant. You meant from like, as whenever you feeling a certain way, feeling down one day to that becoming an actual condition.
0: Yeah. Mean I mean, our moods all fluctuate. Yeah. And we're in the normal range, you're gonna have days when you feel sad. And symptoms or experiences that look like symptoms of depression. But the f- the lines between normal human experience and pathology can sometimes be a little fuzzy. I mean, they're in many ways they're they're man-made. They're devised based on clusters of symptoms for certain periods of time. But do you think about even those experiences sadness or the experiences of major depression or anxiety, they're self-perpetuating in a lot of ways. The thoughts that men will experience when we experience depression will often take us to places of wanting to withdraw, of feeling guilty or worthless or hopeless. And that keeps us from getting the things that we need, like connection, or help or physical activity, the very conditions themselves interfere with the very things that we need in order to get well. And so sometimes it's a matter of normalizing the experience, but it's a hard thing to do if you're isolated, if you're going through it, your brain is telling you I'm the only one and you don't have the backup from another person another man who says no i've gone through this too your experience isn't minimized in any way but it is to say you're not you know, you're not weird or weak or doing something wrong for experiencing what you're doing or experiencing what you're experiencing
1: have you found guys that have been working with you or other therapists have had real changes in their perspective on this?
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, and in fairness, I think that it it doesn't, you know, I, I think that I've seen this a lot in individual work that I've done and that others have done with, with men. But I also see this a lot. Even when men start to engage in groups mm. and so it's not necessarily to diminish the importance of doing one-on-one work. I think that's usually important. Obviously I, it's, uh, a, it's my livelihood and what I feel very passionately about doing. It's an important mission to me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always take that level of in-depth one-on-one work in order to, to achieve it. In fact, it just takes interacting with a man or a few men who can tell you, I've experienced this, you're not alone. This is how I got through it, but more importantly, uh, you're, you've got people around you who are in your corner will help you get through it in your own way.
1: I couldn't agree more. It's almost part of our new modern culture, I think, that is causing all these issues. Because I would assume that before all all of our cell phones and laptops and screens, there was more of a need to reach out to people personally and get what you needed from them face-to-face, which led to conversations and groups. So I would imagine, and I have no studies or anything to back this up. But I would imagine that over the last 50 years or so, especially with cell phones, um, it's just creating so many more mental health issues resulting from guys not being able to connect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think isolation has basically become endemic to men. Mm. It's so common that You know, you see it as a side as a not a side effect or risk factor for many mental health conditions. And my assumption in general is that if I see a man that that he's likely to have limited social support, not every man,
1: just percentage wise, he's probably
0: his risk of it is on is definitely higher than perhaps it was 20 years ago, but certainly um, higher for the average man than for the average woman. Because
1: guys are more likely to, or women are more likely to socialize and Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: and you know, that's not it's important to say this, because it's not alone. It's, it's an important risk factor. But it's not the only one I mean, on the whole women face many mental health conditions more commonly than men. And, you know, depending on the condition itself, um, there may be biases around reporting. Guys are less likely to report mm-hmm. symptoms of depression, for example, we're less likely to report symptoms that coincide with the diagnostic criteria for depression. But clearly it's not the only factor that comes into play. There are lots of factors at play. It is a important factor because it's so common and theoretically it feels like it would be maybe an easy fix. You think that the sort of connectedness that allows us that we have to one another you and I being able to get on a call like this and connect in some way from a thousand miles apart would be enough. But I think that there's something to a level of shared vulnerability, shared strength and shared vulnerability that allows for connection. And there are all sorts of walls and barriers that many men put up. I know I've spent much of my life putting them up. They're protective. They fit with the sort of narrative that we hear about how men ought to show up. But they keep us from deeper connection. They keep us from feeling connected, even when we have a lot of people around us. And so I think that a level of connectedness might be just as high, if not higher than 20, 30, 40 years ago. But the level of loneliness feels different. And so the two feel they're, they're obviously they're they've got some correlation, but you can certainly be very connected and still feel very alone or very lonely. And I think the combating element to that is a level of vulnerable share. and I think it's what often we see happen really well. If we look at mom groups, for example, I I think it's a, there's a level of building one another up and normalizing vulnerable experiences. And it's a lagging kind of a thing for most men. I think we're both in the here doing work that is helping men to connect and to share strength and vulnerability in ways that feel approachable to men. But it's a slow and still kind of a lagging thing for many men, for many fathers to connect in a way in which shared strength and shared vulnerability are applauded.
1: Yeah, I'll do um, in my groups. You know, I'll do some questionnaires and questions of the group, and you're inevitably going to get the tough guys who, you know, I'll ask a question about, um, you know, something. What's your favorite memory with your child, or well, how can? I, what's one thing you can work on as a father today, something like that, and you're always going to get the that the one guy who, no matter what, you know, has to display to everyone how tough he is in that situation. And I'd do I'd do something like hey, when's the last time you hung out with your friends or do you guys ever hang out with your friends? There's one guy who's like, you know, I don't need friends. I'm 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 on my own, you know, that's I, I I can go through life just with my family myself and blah blah blah. And that it happens every single time. Like yep. there's there's this constant need to display to people kind of exactly what you're saying, like I can do it on my own. I am this lone crusader going on this mission yep. and I'll die on the hill. And yep. I don't I don't know why that that continues to pers- to happen but it's probably contributing to a lot of the mental distress that you're talking about is this fantasy about like the uh, the crusader the warrior who's going on this mission alone and even if he even if he's broken Dead by the end of it. It's okay, you know. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. his his story's going to be great. And yep. Not realizing that along the way he's, you know, he's destroying himself. He's ruining his relationships with his friends and family, and um, this narrative that he gave himself is leading him down a, a bad path.
0: Yeah, that's really common, and and gets me wondering how you respond. How do you Who's find it? yourself compelled to respond? And how do other people in your group respond?
1: Well, the guys that agree with him will like it comment. Hell yeah, thumbs up. Um, because they don't, they don't have the you know, they're they they did not have the, the guts to put that comment themselves and put themselves out there. But they will say that because now but now they look up to that guy. Like he's the strong one, and then that guy just created some followers for that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I try to I leave that comment up, and I use it as a to try to show people my way of thinking. And I'll leave a I'll take my time and leave a detailed comment um, explaining how I think differently about this, and I try to write it in a way that people can follow along and learn from. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So and yeah, if, and because uh, like, whenever you're dealing with social media or anything like that, you can either negative comments or comments that attack what you're saying, you can either get rid of them, or you can use them as an advertisement for what you're trying to say. Because it's kind of like objection handling with sales, like, if you're trying to sell something, someone's saying, Oh, that's too expensive, because blank, and they write that down. And you can say, actually, it's not that expensive, because of these 10 reasons. And then someone who's considering to buy your product, you know, can read over your explanation, and you're handling their objections before they even buy it. So that's kind of how I think about comments that are anti my message.
0: For sure. 100% I'd say in this case, the I don't need friends, it would sort of be in line with uh, what is commonly referred to in at least in research around men's mental health as, um, as a core element to traditional masculine ideology, which often holds that men are ex- that we expect ourselves. And then perhaps other people expect us to be lone wolves and the alpha To be competent at everything to be entirely self-sufficient to be daring to be willing to take risks you can make a
1: whole brand about that i see so many memes and oh for sure just you know the the lion with blood on his face like i don't need my friend but just there's such a that's
0: such a message it's a huge message well the reality of at least research has been done around uh, mental health is that men who hold on to these rules very rigidly are also the men who are um, highly at risk for mental health conditions like depression and it's not to say that men who don't hold on that to rigid rules of traditional masculine ideology don't suffer But it is to say that there are a slew of reasons not to hold on to these sort of traditional man laws in such a rigid way to recognize that some of the attributes like self-sufficiency, strength, daring, honor competence those are valuable but when held on to in these rigid ways that are excessive that are superhuman that are inflexible that don't fit for most of us don't fit for humans that they actually do us a disservice they keep us from being our best selves If we're just looking at the context of self-sufficiency saying, I don't have friends because I don't need friends might sound somehow really, I don't know, compelling, maybe men can get, certain men can get behind it because it sounds strong, but the reality is guys who are lonely, who don't have the social support are the guys who struggle the guys who have a harder time facing big life changes, especially fatherhood, in a healthy, productive, strong way and so there's value here in the response that you give there's value in not applauding this as the only or the 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 uber-masculine ideal to which we should all strive. In fact, it puts us in a place of potential risk to do it to ourselves and to other people. And so a more realistic viewpoint would be to applaud self-sufficiency, but also to applaud the, the reaching out, The teamwork, the collaboration that's associated with having friends, there's some really wonderful things that are associated with having a team of people around you, having some brotherhood in your life that most men don't get to experience without some connection, without loosening the rigid expectations and norms maybe even rewriting them.
1: Um, my response is usually along the lines of when I hang out with my friends, it makes me happier, which makes me a better husband and father. It's usually some version of that. Yeah,
0: brilliant. In and... a lot of ways. It's uh that's, uh, it's personal, it doesn't d- diminish the other person it invites the other person to consider well, maybe there's a different viewpoint.
1: Yeah, and I don't I try not to be judgmental about it. I just say, this is how this is why I make a priority to see my friends and to hang out with them. It's not because I'm selfish. It's not selfish to hang out with friends. It's because it's important to my wife and my kids that I hang out with my friends. And if I'm happier, then my wife's gonna get a better version of me, my kids are gonna get a better version of me. Plus, I want my wife to hang out with her friends. I want my kids to have lots of friends and be social because that's a skill in itself. And they have, I want them to see their dad hanging out with friends. I mean, my kids see me hanging out with friends all the time. And my guy friends are some of my kids closest friends now because we do it so much. And I think back to probably a romantic version of the way things used to be where, you know, people lived in, you know, more village like areas and they, they, Commun- they had more a bigger sense of community. Like we I'm growing up pre cell phone, like we, we used to have block parties. And mm-hmm. we were very, we knew everyone on our street, and all the kids would get together and play release and night tag. And yeah, the parents would yell at the other kids in the block, like if I was screwing up, my neighbor would yell at me, my mom was fine with it. She didn't come out and call a lawyer, you know, uh-huh. and all of that is kind of missing right now. And I can't create that exact situation, but it's a, it's a much, it's much more healthier for our, my kids. I think if they've got multiple adults giving them wisdom, like my son, my, one of my best friends just loves talking about WWE and wrestling and everything. <laughs> and my, I, I don't know anything about it. So my kid and him <laughs> on our, one of our vacations just went it's all week, just talking about WWE. And now he has this great connection with my son. And then yeah. he was telling him like, I, we went fishing one time, and my buddy and him were like sitting together fishing, talking. And he was—I heard him over talking about like wisdom about, you know, taking the hook out of the fish and worms, and just like stuff that I wasn't even thinking of, wasn't on my radar. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have put them him in that situation; he wouldn't have got it. and I, I mean, I, that's not a selfish thing of me. That's because I friends are valuable to me. Now my son has extra wisdom in his life.
0: For sure, and the opportunity to connect to people on the regular, which I think, I mean, I think that's another thing. Even the capacity to interact is feels can feel threatening if you don't have that connection early, those sort of secure connections, secure levels of attachment with people around you in a very, at a very early stage. It can be harder to build the awareness, the practice, the safety in connecting to other people later in life too. So you're, you're giving your kids not only a model for cultivating friendship, but an opportunity to connect to people and for it to be just a regular part of their lives, which I think, I don't think that's universal, especially in the West.
1: No. And yeah. I've I told you this before, like any time I poll people, how many of us how many of us guys have friends, it's always at least eighty, ninety percent. No one has friends. Um yeah. and I don't think they're counting their social media friends as friends. because um, it is different. Um mm-hmm. and I, I wish that wasn't the case so I've just you know, man, go join a gym. You you don't have to be ripped, you don't have to be the ripped guys you see on Instagram. Just yeah. Join a jujitsu gym. Join a boxing club. Join a physical gym. Like my wife and kids are at CrossFit right now. That, you know, they've all got thirty new friends. They all hang out. You know, oh it's, yeah. it's you can do. You don't have to be perfect to join these clubs. You know, you can. There's so many. If you just Google it, you can find societies, clubs, so many things in your area. You can probably walk to or take a short Uber ride, and just meet people who are exactly like you. After a couple of weeks, you'll be texting each other. You'll be hanging out. You'll have fun groups to go to, and you'll be a different person. Like, man, after yeah. hanging out with my friends, I'm a different person.
0: Yeah, I'd argue too that there's some value in not being perfect. In in social situations, especially, but even in in physical activity situations in crossfit boxes or or gyms or otherwise i mean there there is this desire i think socially and this is certainly true for men because so much of the kind of traditional the traditional ideology around masculinity involves involves appearing competent and strong And there is a sense then that I need to be somehow one-upping or I need to show up in the perfect way. If I'm not one-upping, then I need to show up in the perfect way. And in fact, it's often the imperfections that bind us, that connect us. The people who show up as 100% perfect, completely chiseled and ripped might get some attention in terms of, like, you know, um, applauding an appearance or a physique or a level of strength that doesn't necessarily translate to connectedness. In fact, sometimes it means um, people who appear really polished may seem like they have it all together and why would they want to be friends with me? And so there's some value here to even recognizing just being authentic and being interested in connecting can go really can be really powerful. You don't have to have the perfect line to say hello, or come across as, um, you know, like you've got it all figured out for yourself. In fact, it can be hugely connective to just be authentic and a little bit vulnerable.
1: Could one of the reasons do guys have this um, false wall or false identity or I guess need to say I'm strong I don't need anyone it's kind of like a character they're painting they're building that they're showing to the world saying that's who I am not me is one of the reasons the guys do that because they're lacking some inner fulfillment now this is kind of like a loaded question because it's really just my opinion <laughs> so yeah, fair. I'm, kind of just, I'm kind of saying do you agree with me so one yeah. thing I think is that um you know, guys say those kind of things and put on, you know, their profile pictures of a a lion growling and everything they say is tough. Because when they go home, you know, maybe they just instead of working on a passion project, or hanging out with friends or doing a hobby or having meaningful connections, they're, they're lacking in that area. Hmm. Is that a part? That's kind of my personal opinion. I think
0: Yeah, it could be. I mean, it would fit. I think there are a lot of reasons why guys will showcase a part of, a, or a story that may or may not fit what's happening on the inside. I mean, a lot of us put up walls and we show fronts that we want to look good and maybe that is a bit of insecurity around what's happening on the inside or a lack of fulfillment maybe that makes up for it i think it's variable i think there are a lot of reasons why guys would and not just would but do do that i mean you see it a lot on social media certainly on instagram where so much of the interaction is based on an image there is a desire to showcase the highlights and I also think there's an element of fear associated with showing anything that might be vulnerable, which I think in a lot of ways has been a big part of my own mission to show bravery and courage in sharing authentic vulnerability. I think that in many cases, we haven't had a lot of models of men doing that in either in our lives or around us, certainly not on social media. And so it may seem like in order to garner attention and connection, I have to showcase something that lives up to an image. So I think it inherently means that there's a need, that need might be to fulfill a sense of security or fulfillment that might not be there, but it may also be to garner respect or support or connection that otherwise we don't have in our lives in real time. So it could be lots of things. I think your theory is, uh, Has got some weight. It holds (laughs) some water.
1: Is that what braver man's all about? It's being brave enough to be vulnerable.
0: Yeah, it's recognizing a an important element of bravery through shared vulnerability and being authentic about it. Recognizing too that the shared degree of vulnerability means that i'm opening myself up to ways to get stronger to become braver but yeah that was very much at the heart of the start of braver man very much at the heart of the mission of my work
1: when guys become fathers um they go through a massive change and I can't remember if I talked to you about this um, we I, think I talked to someone about almost like postpartum depression in men yeah whenever we after did. They, they go okay after they go through fatherhood and that was kind of startling to me and we didn't cover that and I do want to touch on that um, yeah because a lot of fathers you know obviously are in the community and I think you think of most people think of that as a purely motherhood thing and It's also a very vague term, I think that could encompass a lot of different symptoms or actions or behaviors. Um, So what does that look like for guys?
0: Yeah, it is quite real for men. So about 10% of fathers will experience postpartum depression in the first year of fatherhood. And that, by the book looks like at least two weeks of major depressive symptoms, usually a decline in mood, a change in level of interest or hope with symptoms like disturbances to sleep and energy and appetite and motivation and concentration, sluggishness or restlessness, hopelessness, Loss of interest or pleasure. Now, a lot of these, right? <laughs> Got is a team of fathers here who are going to say, well, f- implicitly, fatherhood involves a lot of sleepless nights, of uh, some decline in energy and motivation and interest, and changes to level of interest. And so, important to note a few things here. Often. For men, for fathers, postpartum depression will show up with some additional features. It will tend to show up with an uncharacteristic degree of indecisiveness, feeling uncertain about myself, feeling guilty or worthless, attacks of anger, getting really irritable really snappy. It will also tend to show up with feeling numb. I think more than more often than is recognized guys may not say I'm feeling depressed, but I'm feeling depleted or numb. Hmm. And also as part of depression, men have a higher risk of turning to substances, spending, or gambling or mm-hmm. risky sex mm-hmm. in ways to avoid the numbing.
1: Is this a biological thing? Or like you what postpartum depression, like I, yeah, I was always never totally clear on, like, is this something that happens because of the chemicals and hormones that are happening or is it a situational situation Yeah,
0: I mean the answer to that is yes to both. Okay. Um there are in, innate changes to hormone levels and fluxes in testosterone usually drops. Okay. Fluxes in estrogen and cortisol and oxytocin that are all designed to help dads bond with their babies in the first few weeks and months of fatherhood. So testosterone actually drops. It does. Mm -hmm. And so there are, there are physiological risk factors that increase the likelihood for a man to experience a major depressive episode in that first year. But we also know that there are additional risk factors that are situational. Fathers who are. Um, excluded from baby bonding, fathers, uh, moms as well, in which that primary relationship, the relationship between mom and dad is, uh, is rocky or struggling. That is a major risk factor. Um, lack of social supports. It feels like lack of social supports at least in mental health and psychiatry comes up really commonly as a risk factor for for many mental health conditions and it's a risk factor for this one and so when dad feels isolated Mm -hmm. both from bonding with the baby but also from community that's a risk factor as well when mom is experiencing postpartum depression that risk ramps up tremendously, it becomes 25 to 50%. It goes up from one in 10 men to one in two to four men. And so if mom is experiencing postpartum depression, the likelihood that dad will also have postpartum depression is super high.
1: Wow, you said two out of four to 50%.
0: It's either uh, it's the studies suggest somewhere between one and two and one and four so twenty five to fifty percent.
1: Wow, that's wild yeah there's a guy I know um, he I mean he became a father, completely changed and not for the better he um he all throughout high school he's jock, super strong happy college party guy super strong happy and you got married. They had a kid. And I think it's kind of what you're saying now the the wife had definitely had postpartum depression, like, and like a serious episode. And that Mm -hmm. that was like four or five years ago. And him, him, like, he is completely changed. He's, you know, packed on weight, never wants to hang out. doesn't have any hobbies, no passions, stopped going to the gym. Um, I mean, he's kind of a shell of his former self. And from the outside looking in without giving him a diagnosis, I would say he's depressed. But Mm -hmm. it's been four or five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it's really serious. I mean, just a completely different person, you know, from the person that we knew. And not that like I'm blaming the wife. But they're both like in this black hole together
0: you know that they need someone to
1: pull them out
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, unfortunately not uncommon um i'd say too there's some unknown features of depression generally i mean i think one thing is that because the diagnostic criteria by the book a depressive episode is defined to last for two weeks or more. There's a sense that this is a condition that on average impacts people on the order of weeks. It's not the average duration of a major depressive episode is four to 12 months. And in most cases, the, the experience isn't a one-and-done kind of a thing. It's little, I, I think, research on postpartum depression, in men hasn't sort of fully clarified this in terms of risk beyond the postpartum period. But for men who experience major depressive episode with uh, with at least one episode, if a guy experiences one episode, his likelihood to have another is about 50% thereafter, it's about 75%. After three episodes, it's about 90%. And so the likelihood is that most people who experience depressive episodes will experience them on a recurrent basis. Mm. It's important to know it's not necessarily a one and done thing, that it can take up a huge chunk of people's lives on the order of months to years per Mm -hmm. episode, which is why I think the World Health Organization is expecting it to be the second leading cause of disability by I think 2024. And so it is important to recognize that, that it depression alone really impacts people's lives in ways that can be very subtle, but also pay ways that are very powerful, very very strong and impactful. And I think therein lies the importance of considering ways to combat risk factors like isolation. If we just look at this from the standpoint of public health, I mean, if we just look at this from the standpoint of being fulfilled, being happy, feeling like you're successful in whatever your description of the word is doesn't have to be in terms of money or belongings or anything. There's huge value to combating isolation to building community. When we think about public health, it's massive. People who are lonely are more likely to experience these depressive episodes. People who, um, feel disconnected, um, are likely to experience more severe episodes. And so I I think there's a there's something really important to recognizing the power of depression and other conditions like it and the risk that's associated with early fatherhood. And you've got all kinds of other risk factors. You've got changes to sleep patterns, just the sheer stress that's associated, no doubt with having to take care of a baby and concerns about, um, mom's health and baby's health and a desire to show up in the best possible way. Lots of pressures that may be placed upon you by society or maybe more likely by ourselves. So the early fatherhood, the early parenthood period is an especially risky time for mom and dad.
1: And I mean, if guys would just reach out to someone, you know, they could, I feel like that could break a cycle. If, you know, you could go through like my, like the guy I know, um, I try, you know, I try to talk to him and I'm no therapist, but I try to offer some insight or to at least just listen. Mm-hmm. Um, But what I hear a lot of is um, Denial that anything is wrong or Kind of the tough guy narrative that This is the way it is right now it's supposed to be hard One day it'll be different And you know this person I know has been saying this for five years And it's apparent to everyone else That they've like They're not in a good place And the it's supposed to be hard it's supposed to be tough um it's just the way it is right now it'll get better someday that that's like a a trap that i think you can tell yourself because it feels good but like it's like no if if this person would just talk to you maybe you could say two sentences to him that would offer some insight and lessen the weight of these internal thoughts you know it's so I feel like a lot of guys have so many barriers in their brains or messages that they've convinced themselves are the absolute truth mm. that it's so hard to bust through and say just put those down for a couple minutes listen to what I have to say there is another life out there for you like you don't have to be stressed and upset and miserable all the time like you don't have to be but it's so many guys have these blocks these walls and these you know 10 commandments of the way i live my life and the way i have to feel that it's really hard to bust through i would imagine that whenever you're talking to some new clients or, or guys that you kind of you deal with that a little bit is you yeah know, yes you've thought this for 40 years how about this
0: yeah yeah For sure. For sure. I think there's some awareness too that that those thoughts that have been at the fore for the last 40 years or however many years are unlikely to just go away. Mm -hmm. In some ways they've served. Patterns have served us. Yes. And I think to your point here, Letting someone know if someone, if something changes, I'm here. If you need an ear, you know where to reach me. I'm going to check in on you anyway. You might say the same thing every time, but I'm here. I think that's really powerful, probably more so than, than preaching or Forcing a way to help. Not everyone will respond with help seeking, but if they find themselves needing help, wanting help, being willing to seek it, then they know you're there. They know you care. It feels like those messages are They don't, they're not always very satisfying because there's a sort of a part of all of us that wants to help people to get to a place where they're no longer suffering and it's painful to see people we care about suffer in a way. There's also something really important that often gets picked up on when you're honest about a desire to help somebody, when you're honest about your care for somebody. That even if you don't have all the answers, you can't force them to do anything. Even if they came to you, you may not have a way to fix anything. They know, maybe they're just not quite as alone as they thought that they were. And so I, I, I think there's something really powerful just to being able to listen and to voice a genuine level of concern for another man that I I don't think we see modeled very frequently. And I also think I also think we don't really get the invite to share from one guy to another. It's Yeah, again, it doesn't always fit into the sort of traditional norms. Mm -hmm. But it's super powerful. Most men are longing for it. They're long, we're longing for connection
1: sometimes you go out with your buddies, you know, finally your, your buddy gets one night out to hang out and you go to a bar, you're drinking, telling jokes. I mean, the last thing that a guy wants to do to his friend is get serious and have that, you know, and say, Hey, I noticed that you're having some issues, man. Let's talk about like it's, and if that guy can only go out once a month or once every three months, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to make that time, which is why I think it's important to set aside time with with someone to actually help you
0: i agree i agree and it may not be in that moment yeah maybe at a different time hey, i loved hanging out with you tonight and also um if something comes up between now and the next time we we get the chance to hang out you know how to get you know how to reach me is it all right if i re- reach out to you just to check in now and then most guys are going to be open to that I I think it's rare that you're going to get a guy who's who's going to be closed off to it.
1: All right, man. I will wrap this up. I don't want to take any more of your time. I really appreciate appreciate you. Yes, this is a great conversation. I I think a ton of guys can find so much value in what you're saying because it's so different from what's out there. It's thank you. Not many people are saying. I have your message. The main message you will find is, you know, wake up at 2 a.m. Get your eight pack on uh, hustle 20 out of the 24 hours of the day. And you're saying slow down, take care of yourself. It's okay, And I just love that. I think that so many guys are I'm repeating myself, but so many guys are in that trap. And I find myself there too, just wanting to constantly achieve more and more and more and more. And then what you're not realizing you're doing is you're actually slowing yourself down by not taking care of yourself. So For find sure, yeah. um, Dr. Pierre Zam on Instagram, and you, I'll let you tell people where else. But it's Braver Man on Instagram. Sure. Find yeah. all his stuff. So where do you, where can people find you?
0: Yeah, quickest way is through Instagram. The handles at Braver Man.
1: Yeah and can't recommend him enough guys check him out and he will he just shares so much wisdom and value on his page all the time so you can get your own free consultation just by going through his posts he's very very helpful
0: i appreciate that thank you Chris.
1: all right i appreciate you buddy
0: i appreciate you as well